0: So if we have this physician shortage and we have this maternal mortality issue, the answer becomes we have to bring it back to the community, and it becomes very important that the community providers are, are acknowledged as an integral part of the maternity care system in their community.
1: Welcome to the Happy Home birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories in your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and mother. Well, hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to episode 101 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and I am back after taking an unexpected break last week. I was not feeling well throughout the week, but vitamin C to the rescue. So for all of you, if you're not feeling well, let me just remind you, vitamin C is amazing. Um, so anyway, I am thrilled to be feeling better and thrilled to be introducing you to today's guest. Jessica Johnston, who is a certified professional midwife, is also one of the founders of the Pacific Birth institute and she hails from anchorage alaska and she has some amazing stuff to share with us today she has just released a prerequisite birth assistant training program this is all online so for anyone who is considering the birthing world This is an amazing place to start. It's accessible to anyone, as I said, because it is online. You will hear more about the program that she and her other co-founders have going on in Alaska. This model is just amazing, and I am praying that we just start seeing it popping up all over the country. We're going to be talking about some really deep stuff about the fact that maternal mortality is just abhorrent right now in the mainstream medical system and how this has to change. And it changes with us. It changes by bringing birth back to the community members. By having more midwives, we know that this is safe. And I'm going to get off of my soapbox here because Jessica is going to do a phenomenal job of discussing this further in the interview. But I'm just so excited to be sharing this with you. I did want to let you know that she discusses her prerequisite course in the interview. It is available now. So all you have to do is go to pacificbirthinstitute.com. You will find the birth assistant prerequisite program there and you can just log on online and start training. All right, my friends, let's get ready. Buckle up for this amazing interview. Please remember that the opinions of my guests may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa. And although Jessica is a phenomenal CPM, she is not acting as your care provider. So continue to see your doctor, your midwife, or if you're like me, your chiropractor. Let's jump in. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast.
0: Oh, thank you for having me, Caitlin. I am so excited to be here.
1: I'm thrilled to have you. I've got to be honest. I am super excited about this conversation. And before we get into our uh, all of the interesting things we have to discuss, would you mind just giving a brief intro of who you are to the listeners?
0: Yeah, hello, everyone. My name is Jessica Johnston. I'm a certified professional midwife in Anchorage, Alaska. I have a sweet little boutique home birth practice up here. Um, and I also am one of the founders and the director of development for the Pacific Birth Institute. And for everyone who loves the home birth stories, I have my first baby with midwives at 42 weeks. Oh my God, 42 <laughs> weeks at a birth center, yeah. Oh, those are the longest two weeks of my life. But he uh, came. I feel you. Yep, he came out. He was wonderful. And then I had my daughter Lucille. I had her at home, and she was delivered, um, well, by me, but by the hands of my preceptor who was training me because I gave mm. birth to my daughter while I was still a student midwife. So yeah, oh. I that's that my, my birth stories, right? So mm. nine hour first birth three hour second labor. And I tell you that three hour was worse. Woo. Back labor. You
1: know what? Gosh. Oh, well that's, that's rough. And then also I feel like people do not explain like, yeah, short labor that can be really cool, but it can also be really hard for your brain to catch up with your body. So it could be rough. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So Now I would love for us to just kind of explain how we even got to know each other because it is quite a fascinating story. So would you mind kind of sharing a little bit about that?
0: I'll share my side and then I'm so excited to hear your side. Okay. Fabulous. (laughs) Um, So I got a cold call one day from a sweet childbirth educator named Caitlin Um, And it was this last summer and she called to tell me about her childbirth education. And then I discovered that she was running it through the LMS um, platform named Kajabi. And I also run a teaching course through there. And then we had to talk about all of that. And 45 minutes later, I think we're both yelling about birth justice and railing against the machine. Um, And so that's how I met Caitlin. One day when she called me just to tell me about her childbirth education.
1: <laughs> it, yes, I love it, and it was so refreshing because I had, you know, I've created Happy Home Birth Academy, and I'm like, I've got to get this to the midwives, like the midwives need to know about this. And so I had decided, all right, I'm just going to make a list. I'm going to go through all the States. i had already gone through Alabama. And I was like, all right, let's, let's see what's going on. Arizona was kind of a nightmare to even get people's information, but Alaska was it was all laid out on this nice website. I could click on each person's website and find their information. So I got to Jessica and I was like, kind of prepared for either nobody to answer. That's what had been happening a lot. Um, But then you answered and you were just, so fascinating to talk to. So it was, it was the highlight of my day. And then I continued to call down this list and I actually ended up calling you back again because you (laughs) were listed under two different things. And you're like, Hey, Hey, Caitlin, it's Jessica again.
0: (laughs) That's totally right. I almost forgot.
1: Oh, (laughs) Oh man. And I am so glad that we made the connection because you have so much to bring to the table. And I am thrilled that you are coming on the podcast and you're able to share all of this information. So, you know, you have, you've been working as a midwife, but you've now created the Pacific Birth Institute. And I would just love to kind of delve into that. What, what even is it? What are you working on?
0: Okay. Well, I'll start here with go to pacificbirthinstitute.com for anyone who's listening so that you can read more because we're going to talk a lot about the what we are, the who we are, and the why we're doing it. Um, So a lot of that information is going to be on our website, too, if you want to know more. Um, So the Pacific Birth Institute, oh my god, Caitlin, today is our one-year anniversary. We opened the Pacific Birth Institute one year ago today, and I am just remembering that.
1: Okay, well, let's pop the champagne.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you, oh my god, and it's a full moon. So hello, I love this. (laughs) It's
1: all coming together.
0: Right? So the Pacific um, Birth Institute is owned by myself um, and Jennifer Hoadley. She's a certified nurse midwife here in Alaska and Jennifer Cave who is also a certified professional midwife and certified state of Alaska direct entry midwife. That's our um, licensing credential for the state of Alaska. And um, Jen Hoadley and I were chatting and we were talking about, I mean, I can't even remember back to how deep our conversation was at that time, but really it was about sustainability in practice right um, and the state of Alaska has 37 licensed um, direct entry midwives to serve the entire state which is not a large number and my partner Jennifer Hoadley is actually one of the only nurse midwives in the Anchorage area but one of a handful in the state that actually attends home birth VBACs, breeches, breaches and twins so she she serves a very distinct clientele as well that is desperate to have the home birth experience but due to provider restriction, location restriction, liability, um, the services are not offered. And so um, when we got together, we were like, okay, let's just do it. We're going to start looking at how can we start activating more people into birth, right? So that we can start developing the provider base where more moms can be helped in their locations and their locale by people they know with having babies, right? Um, And I don't feel I know we're being casual about this talk, so I feel like I'm like, okay, you're getting too big too quick, just like bring it back, right? (laughs) So the Pacific Birth Institute really, the reason it was founded is one of our like taglines is, um, we educate the licensed and aspiring birth professionals, right, that's what we're here to do. And before COVID, we had so many big plans for CEUs, Um, We actually purchased a Noel doll, which is fantastic. It's an obstetric simulation model. We were going to be doing shoulder dystocia workshops with the local providers. We had all these in-group, in-person things going on, right? And then COVID, and that's okay. So we've had to pivot a little bit, and we have really started to focus distinctly on our main flagship offering, which is our birth assistant training program. And we can get way more in depth on why, of all the things with a birth institute, what is it that draws you to a birth assistant training program? What is that even about? Um, yeah. But i kind of like you ask me questions to guide that because well, I don't want really to continue to run away with my own thoughts because I have a lot of them about all of I this.
1: I am loving them. your thoughts. You're welcome to run away with them at any point. And yeah, let's let's start there. What in all of this, why is that? what you decided, okay, this is what we need to be working on. This is the most important aspect right now.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, you know, here we are three midwives, right? And we want to do something for birth because all three of us kind of burn with a little bit of a social justice bug, definitely reproductive healthcare justice. Okay. Um, and so the why of even the founding of the Pacific Birth Institute, but really the why that gave birth to the birth assistant training program is kind of multifaceted. Um, One of the biggest concerns I think facing maternal health care right now is the physician shortage. And I know that kind of sounds weird, physician shortage. We have a projected Mm -hmm. physician shortage right now that is only going to increase. And what that looks like is we're going to have less doctors over this next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years that are coming out of school able to serve populations across America. And when we have a reduction in doctors, in staffing of doctors, we're going to have a reduction in accessibility of services. And this is not going to necessarily be pronounced in the city environments. This is going to be exceptionally pronounced though in the more rural areas, right? So if you are an hour plus away from any major hospital, you specifically are going to feel the crunch of the loss of pediatricians, the loss of obstetricians. Um, It's it becomes, it's a ripple effect. So when we look at a physician shortage right now, the American Academy of Family Physicians projects a shortage of up to 49,000 physicians by 2020, right, so where we're sitting right now, whereas wow. the health... Resources and Services Administration projects projects a shortage of 65,560 primary care physicians also by 2020. So these were projections that have been pretty met and possibly exceeded at this point. We are going to keep collecting data, right? Um, So the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has projected that there will be a shortage of 9,000 OBGYNs by 2020. And it's going to grow to a shortage of 22,000 by 2050. So no, no, I'm not. And it's one of the, it's one of the crisis crises. I don't know how to crises, I guess. That (laughs) sounds (laughs) good. It's, there's a lot going on in the world right now, obviously Mm -hmm. that needs acute attention. Um, This as well needs acute attention and it's not getting it. Right. And again, because the people who are going to be compromised are the ones that live away from these larger areas. So the majority of people that live in rural areas are going to suffer from this. Now, when we look at physician shortage, that's just one reason we're like, oh, my gosh, we have to do something. The other side of it really is the maternal mortality crisis in America. Right. In America, we spend more money than any other developed nation in our maternity care model, and we have the worst outcomes in the first world. So we are paying way too much money and not getting a good product, okay? Mm -hmm. And when I say that community birth is the answer to maternal mortality, I'm not making that up, and it's actually borne out in evidence in other countries already, okay? So Mm -hmm. the data exists. I'm not saying anything new the return of birth to the community is going to be what is the it's going to be the number one way that we can really start to affect for good the change in our maternal mortality statistics in this nation. And so, what does that mean, right? What is that what does that even look like, right? Well, ManaStats, which is the Midwifery Alliance of North America, the Midwives Alliance of North America, they have a statistical project where they collect um, birth data from midwives from across the nation. And really it's a great thing because midwives have been fringe in this country for way too long. And one of the reasons is because we don't have a lot of data to support what we do inside of, of America. And so the formation of the stats project where midwives submit de-identified um, client information actually helps us get a body of research behind all midwives and community births saying, we're not just saying it's safe, here are the numbers to prove it, right? And there was a beautiful study that was released in 2014, and it was a study that looked at almost 17,000 planned home births with midwives um, between 2004 and 2009 in the United States. And it showed that 89.1% of um, clients who who started with midwives would deliver at home for their planned home birth no matter how old they were no matter how many kids they had in general almost nine out of ten women or birthing people would deliver at home when they had a planned home birth but what's mm-hmm. even more fascinating than the fact that there is almost the 90 percent success rate no matter who you are which is already i want to say right now that's astronomical right mm-hmm, and this is a cohort sure. and i'm going to also say this this is a cohort of low-risk women as identified by their care providers and midwives specifically, right? Because mm-hmm. low-risk, low-resource, low-risk, that's how home birth stays safe. It is a low-resource environment meant to serve low intervention, to really reduce, um, to lower bad outcomes, and to serve our healthier, lower-risk clientele, right? Um, funny thing is, uh, most women in the United States actually are low-risk, So, (laughs) but coming back to that nine out of 10 women will deliver at home or birthing people will deliver at home of the one out of 10 out of that almost 11% that do transfer into hospital, 90% of those clients go on to vaginally deliver in hospital. And that's incredible. Yeah. That alone is the, the statistic that needs to be very much so honored and looked at. Because that shows that even though transport happens, even when it happens, the success and the odds of you having a vaginal delivery increase that much more, even with transport being a part of it. And so because a lot of people are like, but home birth, if I start there, what if I have to move, right? Which brings up the next point, which is when we have a physician shortage, right? And we have maternal mortality looking, looking like it does right now right, especially in our um, women of color and um, our women, um, well, not just our women, but our birthing clients who do not identify as women, our more more marginalized populations are being affected heavily, right? Their mortality statistics are a lot higher um, than other cohorts, right? So if we have this physician shortage and we have this maternal mortality issue, the answer becomes we have to bring it back to the community. And it becomes very important that the community providers are are acknowledged as an integral part of the maternity care system in their community. And that transport um, protocols and integrated collaboration with hospital providers is paramount to the seamless, healthy, expedited transport when needed for mothers who and birthing people who are seeking um, or who need higher intervention or higher care at any point.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's just, I was just, you know, there was another uh, recent interview that I did where the mom was saying how in her community, her midwife told her, like, if you have to transport to the hospital, I cannot go with you because mm-hmm. it is your outcomes will be worse if I am there. Like that is shocking. That is so upsetting to hear that there's such a disconnect between community care and the hospital.
0: Well, you know, and it's, it's really the elephant in the room when it comes to um, a lot of the national efforts to advance midwifery. Um, you know, the professionalization of midwifery itself and the choice, um, the choices that have been made to streamline our competencies towards um, accredited education, right, have been in efforts from my younger midwife perspective, have been in good efforts to try to show the maternity care world as it stands now, our nurse midwifery colleges, our um, OBGYN colleges, that yes, we're competent. We have international competencies. We've hit. We are, we are health care providers. Acknowledge mm-hmm. us as health care providers, right? So, really, we are taking that step forward and saying we're here to serve. We're here to come out of the fringes. We, our moms need it, right? Our mm-hmm. birthing clients need it. Um, the other side of this elephant, this elephant though that looms over it, is we are not fully integrated right, I still cannot work in hospitals, right? We have strata between even our midwives, right? Whereas when you see well-integrated models that have fantastic data, um denmark sweden right they're fully integrated models and so the the us has some work to do to have that integration even happen but it does it it hurts my heart when i hear what your you know your client had said about what her midwife said because unfortunately that is very true there is a lot of animosity between the midwife world and the ob world i sit on a statewide and a citywide transfer committee here in anchorage alaska to uh, we're, we're implementing smooth transitions from out of Washington, right, to increase uh, the streamlined nature of um, transfer of care and transport when moms need it from the community birth um, setting. And it's been fantastic because it's really, I'm developing rapport with our hospitalist group here in Anchorage. I'm developing rapport with our neonatology units. Um, and they're coming forward and I'm coming forward. So it's like we're each taking a step forward, right? And we're meeting at the table to start discussing, (sighs) discussing what it looks like if midwives are really healthcare providers, are we going to be treated as such? You know, and if, and that's the big thing. It's, and are we going to be treated as such? And then also Can we develop for myself, like as a midwife right here, you know, here in Anchorage, can I develop enough of a rapport where I feel like the OBs and the, you know, um, the perinatologists I'm working with, that they understand the service I provide this community and they and they value it as equal to the service they provide, knowing that each of us are serving different demographics, but we're doing exactly what we're trained to do because community birth providers are trained in physiologic birth. We are trained to work with low-risk women who, and clients, excuse me, I'm really, I will say this now, I am working very hard to un my language. So that's why you hear me continue to switch to birthing person, and I'm going to keep doing that. So I apologize that I am saying woman often, because I am really making a concerted effort
1: to broaden my language inclusivity. Um, So just a side note there. (laughs) So we were talking about how uh, we were talking about smooth transitions, um, but in the whole, like the general scheme of things, we had discussed about how our mortality rates, our maternal mortality rates are so abhorrent with the amount of money that we're spending um, Mm -hmm. and just how, you know, why it's there's such a need for us to kind of bring back birth to the community providers.
0: Well, and that's, and you know, and we're all doing our part, right? Like there's there's fantastic, I mean, the midwives of Massachusetts right now are really um, standing up and getting their community involved to more fully integrate them and to honor the new regulations put forward in licensure, that they do honor the choices of the birthing person and that they do protect the birth provider. Um, and so there's a lot of amazing stuff happening around the nation right now in that. Um, So it is, it's already happening, but what I really want to look at here and what I want to make clear when I'm talking about Pacific Birth Institute is we are going to be the agents of change that the birthing people in this world need. Okay. The physician shortage is real. So we cannot continue to look to OBs to try to fix this for us. Right, The I can't we cannot continue to look to the American Medical Association to fix our maternal mortality crisis because it's not working. Right. And there's a lot of reason for that. Again, if the large majority of the population in the United in the United States is low risk. But we are taking a low risk client and instead of as a nation saying, oh, you're here. Start with midwives. Right. And then if your risk increases right? We can move you to a higher risk um, provider, right? We're having women of any risk status, predominantly low, start with high risk providers. They're starting with OBGYNs, right? And OBGYNs, I love them, right? Mm -hmm. Cesareans have saved so many lives, so many lives. So I love OBs, right? But OBs are trained surgeons and they're fantastic surgeons. They are not experts, and low risk physiologic birth, right? So right. when you take a low risk population, and you immediately first step in their care, put them, give them to a high risk doctor, who is more used to using high risk intervention methods, right? What is what outcome do you expect? Exactly. Honestly, what do you expect? Right. And so when we look at as a community when we know that this is what's happening and I'm not going to point fingers at policy and funding because it's so much bigger than just one conversation. Right. But what I am going to say is it's not working the way it's happening. It's not going to be changed by those who are possibly benefiting from it and or who do believe that maybe home birth is dangerous, right? And don't want to be convinced otherwise, because we do run into that. Um, If it's not going to happen at the physician level, right? And their numbers are already dwindling and our moms are continuing to die, then it's going to have to start with us as community-based providers, right? right? We are going to have to make the difference one community at a time. Okay, because I will say this too right starting if you are a low risk um, client starting at home is always your best option. It does not mean you cannot have an epidural. It does not mean you cannot have access to these things starting at home is a great option transferring in at any time is always okay. It will increase your odds of vaginal delivery to plan a home birth, no matter where you actually end up giving birth. So I want to make that very clear. Not only that, that you get the so continuity great. of care, right? You get the continuity of care. You get you get all the attention from the midwife, right? Because we just love our clients. Um, mm-hmm. You get great childbirth education from Caitlin, you know. So, <laughs> um, but then, yeah, you you get your needs met. You can birth where you because this is the big thing is beyond all of these statistics. The most prevalent thing we know is that clients labor and deliver best with the least amount of intervention and the least amount of adverse outcome where they feel most comfortable and when they are with providers that they have bonded with and they have a relationship base in, right? Especially if those providers, they can recognize them as their community members. And these providers look like, act like, and live like they do. It it blows my mind that people don't understand that like humans are animals. (laughs) Because <laughs> what I just said sounds kind of like, well, duh, but it also is like, really? And it's like, yes, of course. Where do you find cats when they want to give birth? Do they go to hospitals? Do mm-hmm. they go to blaring lights? Do they go in no. and hopefully, what is it, OB-led hospital births typically are attended 25% of the time by the provider you actually initiated care with? Uh, is that is that what these hormonal shifts, this insane ride that labor, is that what it deserves? And not only that, is that what's safest, right? Is that actually safe for this this birthing person? And Mm -hmm. so if we know that to be true, then it is up to us and all of our communities to make sure that we have available providers from the ground up because we we can't expect the Medical Association to fix this. We can't expect the OBs to fix this. Their house is on fire too. They're dealing with their house, okay? we have to fix this so hence the pacific birth institute and this is where i start pivoting into our birth assistant training because one of the most lacking aspects right now and why the physician shortage is so great is the lack of sustainable employment model right there is Mm -hmm. not a a sustainability in the employment model even in the midwifery world right now is insane the average length of a midwife's career is seven years you do know, a lot of schooling and a lot of sleepless nights when you're a midwife student, you know, when you're a student in midwifery. And it, is it worth it for just seven years of a career?
1: Right. Gosh, Does that sound like a good turnaround? No, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking too, just because yes, we're, we're putting all of this time and effort into learning this craft and then to be just immediately burned out i hear so many who are burned out before they've even actually certified you know like as a student midwife it's like i can't take this i can't take it um it's just it's it's so so difficult
0: well and there's i mean and again oh my god how many podcasts do you want to do right the abusive (laughs) apprenticeship model right the fact that and this is really i mean and this is again a whole nother conversation why did we as midwives choose to professionalize our career instead of unionize and traded, right? Midwifery has always been a trade. So, our, our pivot towards international competency, our pivot towards increased educational cost, specifically, our pivot towards requiring degrees that may or may not be regionally accredited, right, to become a midwife, all of this pivot is towards the idea that we're professionalizing midwifery, right? Which means the OBs and the midwives need to get on the same page because of this pivot actually wants to serve public health, it looks like a full pivot to midwives being integrated with hospital models and they're not being such a division, right? Because public health has to lead the way. What is the public health? What makes seamless transition, seamless transfer happen, right? How much integration can we do for our moms, right? To save all of our birthing people. Um, So the sustainable aspect of employment Oh man, it is the midwifery, you know, we are an unpaid apprenticeship as midwives, right? Mm-hmm. When we came up with this birth assistant training, I sat down and I ran the numbers. So Alaska, it is $3,800 every two years for me to license in Alaska. So it costs me wow. $170 a month to practice, right? We have one of the most expensive midwifery licenses in the nation right now, Um On January 1st of 2020, the state of Alaska, the Board of Direct Entry Midwives, put into um, our statutes that any midwife um, from here on out would need what's called a meek education, so they would need to attend a midwifery education accreditation council approved um, school for either an associate's or bachelor's in midwifery. Okay. Mm-hmm. The average cost of these programs can run anywhere between when I first looked at it. I don't have data in front of me right now. We were just chatting, but now I'm coming up with the numbers. Um, <laughs> is, yeah. So you can low end, I think it was about 7,000 high end, 70,000. Okay. Right. I think the average for some of the big hitters was about 20 to 30,000. Okay. Mm-hmm. For the education. Um, remember again though too, There's only a few midwifery universities um, or colleges in the United States that actually qualify for what's called Title IV funding, right? So getting loans to go into these colleges may not happen, right? Mm -hmm. Only so many of them are qualified to receive loans. And further with this, and again, they're just at the beginning of this, right? So it takes time, but a lot of these colleges also, when you get this associates and this bachelor's, they are not regionally accredited. Meaning if you take your bachelor's of midwifery and you wanna go into, let's say a master's of public health and you go to apply, they'll say, well, this isn't a degree. Mm. So we don't have that shored up yet. And I know, I'm sure the universities are working on it. right, To where these degrees actually represent degrees because so now the state of Alaska to become a midwife, you've got to go to a long distance school that could on average cost you 20 to $30,000 for a set three to four years at least, right? Potentially concurrent with an apprenticeship, potentially not, right? So you could be out living costs for three to five years typically, right? So however much income you'd be giving up, or you, you know, by not working, because you cannot be a student and a, an apprentice and keep a full-time job of any sort, right? Mm-hmm. And then you increase the educational burden, right, by 30,000. It becomes almost untenable, especially if when you're all said and done, you know, only 30 states allows practice that allow me exactly. practice, you know, and maybe in Alaska, we do get insurance to cover us for a good portion of stuff, which is a lot more than the rest of the United States. Right. But you also have to spend about $4,000 every two years to even practice here. Right. Um, it it becomes overwhelming. Let's just I mean, obviously it becomes overwhelming, but what ended up happening with the state of Alaska pushing forward this let's increase the educational costs. I looked straight at them and I said, but why would you, in the state of Alaska, increase educational competency to stay in line with the national efforts when we had a 5.2% C-section rate in 2016? Mm. Why would we change how our midwives are educated when we are performing six times better than the national average? Wow. it's really hard for me on a public health standpoint, because when you increase economic burden to access a career that one does not have jobs on the other side, right? When I got out of my midwifery apprenticeship, there are, there are no jobs for midwives, right? And that could just be my market because we have a pretty good midwife presence, but then I had to fund and start my own business. So now I am now a, getting my own crash course associates in business while practicing my craft as a new midwife right? Yeah. It's, there's no safety nets, and we've increased economic burden. And what our moms desperately need and our clients everywhere need are more midwives on the street. But now exactly. we're making it more expensive, harder, and take longer to get them there. And we don't even have the data that says our education was subpar before, right? <laughs> if, at least it's not translating into actual outcomes because our outcomes are fantastic. So I said, no. I said, no, no, because when you become a student midwife, you, midwifery is a lifestyle, right? Doulas know this too. On-call birth work is a lifestyle. And if you aren't willing to give up three, five, seven years of your life over $100,000 of loans or lost income um, to be on-call potentially forever, right, then all of a sudden you don't have access to be worthy enough to work in birth. I don't buy it, right? I don't buy it. It's unsustainable, yeah. and I don't believe that we, as birth providers, community birth-based birth providers, should be even trying to think that that's going to last, right? Mm. I'm very intrigued to see what the state of Alaska's numbers look like, honestly, for licensed midwives over the next decade since this educational um, reform has been put in, right? Yeah. I'll tell you, we've had when I was in my apprenticeship for three years what 14 started and two finished. Mm -hmm. So if we know already in the schooling aspect of it, we're going to lose a ton of apprentices who don't don't even want to finish, right? But they've already invested this time in money and had to sign up for an education, right? This is, it becomes a not feasible option, right? And so the birth assistant training program, let's just get into it. The reason, let me tell you who the birth assistant training program is for. It is for anyone who wants to work in community-based birth and wants birth work to work for them. Does that make sense? I love it. Tell me about it more. Okay, so I will tell you what we have running up here in Alaska right now, okay? When we opened, we started our first cohort in January of 2020. We had eight students um, enroll with us, okay? The Pacific Birth Institute's birth assistant training program has three parts to it, three main parts. Our students all receive, um, what's actually, it's going to be a 25-hour, but it's looking more like a 35-hour as we finish it out. Um, <laughs> it's, we'll call it 30, just to be easy, right? So okay, it's like it's a 30-hour, 30. 30 yeah, it's a 30-hour online curriculum, okay? So our nurse midwife, Jennifer Hoadley, she has a huge L&D background. She is absolutely one of our biggest birth justice advocates here in the state of Alaska. She is the director of the curriculum. And so she has helped line up the full curriculum start to finish on this is everything a community-based birth assistant needs to know from reducing personal liability, soap note documentation, um, all of the things that you would need to work in the birth centers across the nation. So CABC or AABC certified birth centers, right? So BLS, NRP, um, all of the OSHA, the bloodborne pathogen trainings, the HIPAA trainings, all of those are worked in. And then we also have our 30 hours of direct curricula that our students work through at a specific pace, right? Um, And so yeah, documentation all the way up through assisting at suturing um, at uh, maternal hemorrhage. We have a ton of scenario-based education. We have video, right? This is all hosted. Um, we have this going live. Oh, the prerequisites course aspect of this course will be live for sale nationally um, in the middle of November, but mm-hmm. we're really getting it together because we have our third
1: class already maxed out, ready to start. Okay. Whoa. So the- Go ahead. No, that's just awesome. It's so exciting to hear just how quickly this is growing. Yeah, it, because everybody wants it. Oh my God, you you see it, don't you?
0: you oh, for see, sure. You have a client that has a fantastic birth, and all they want to do is work in birth. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I would love to be a midwife, but I would be a doula, but my partner works away from home, uh, but I have too many student loans, but I work these random days, but I stay home with my kid. All of it, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody feels like they can't go into birth because they can't just give their life over to it. And I'm telling you, you shouldn't have to, right? Mm -hmm. Because if all of us gave 10%, a lot of our moms would be doing a lot better. A lot of our birthing clients everywhere would be doing a lot better, right? Mm -hmm. It shouldn't prohibit you because you can't give into this unsustainable path right for a lot of people it becomes midwifery or doula work become it become they become unsustainable paths for them right due to exactly. having rich beautiful lives right and i don't want that compromised right um, and so that really is our target demographic honestly like in that first cohort of students i had an icu nurse i had a nursing student i had a nurse midwife student i had um two doulas and i had three um I don't even know if I'm doing this the right math. I'm like, I'm not adding fast enough, but I had had a couple that had never worked with birth. Mm -hmm. So it was really great because it was this nurse population, want to be midwives, doulas who want to be midwives potentially, and then people who had never worked in birth, but were so fascinated, right? Um, And so the online curriculum is really self-paced. You get to work it in your own way. Um, we're bro- it, right now. We've broken it into three accessible courses, so you don't feel like you have to buy everything at once, and it becomes overwhelming. So our prerequisites course aspect of that will be launching in November, followed by a basic skills course, and then our advanced skills course. Okay. Um, so really, anybody who wants to take this—I mean, I've had chiropractors inquire, right? Because this is diversification, even with licensed healthcare pro- providers. Do you want to just learn? Because we teach you how to do IVs. We teach you how to do all these things, right? So it's really, you can be a licensed healthcare provider in the community, but you want to diversify your skill set and start working maybe more in birth, but not have to lose your main gig, right? And so our local students, the online curriculum that we'll be releasing is available to everyone, okay? Um, Because it's online, so sure, right? (laughs) So everybody can have access. Exactly. But uh, in Alaska right now, because we're only a year old, in Alaska right now, we run skills weekends up to three times a year, COVID dependent and COVID, you know, sensitive. Um, and it is a three to four day intensive. Everybody gets to play on Noel, the obstetric model. We're running scenarios start to finish. We're running transport scenarios. We're bringing in a lot, um, other community providers to do some training. Um, especially around trauma-informed care and evidence-based care, how to work with birthing people, especially those who have had trauma background, uh, a traumatic background, right? So we're bringing a little more sensitivity training on that, um, and so they get this three to four-day immersive experience. But the real cream of the crop of what we're doing is the fact that we've began a residency program here in the state of Alaska. So wow. our Yeah, and it is. And it's, it's wow, because it's a lot. It's a lot of, (laughs) it's a lot of little things. It's a lot, but it's, it's coming together. And it's funny because sometimes I'm like, why aren't more midwives wanting to do this? And I just have to take a deep breath. And I have to remember that change takes time Mm -hmm. sometimes, right? But it doesn't mean that I don't keep going forward. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, and so what it looks like here in the Anchorage area. We have eight midwifery practices that work with our students. So we run an on call schedule and this is where our students really benefit and it maximizes their joy with birth work. They are. It's a completely self scheduled calendar, meaning if you want to work, you know, while you're in your student phase, our students get six months of being on our residency calendar. Right. Um, And we take two students per day on the calendar and all of the midwives when if they have a birth they open the calendar and they call that student the student goes they take themselves off the calendar the next person takes up um some days nobody's on call right because students didn't schedule themselves and we have births with no students some days i have more students that want to be on call um and we end up needing to call extra students okay Mm -hmm. um so yeah so it's so it's slow and it's growing and it's so exciting because this is what's missing is we need to be the sustainability. We need to be the safety net. We need to be the answer to the healthcare, healthcare worker burnout, to finding a way to get people engaged in community birth, even if they can't afford to become midwives. Because right now midwives backing up midwives I love having licensed midwives at my birth, right? Two to three of them, great, wonderful. But is that sustainable when my entire state is working with 37 of them? Right. It's not, because then not only am I doing my client load, I'm doing probably my other- Someone else's. I'm doing someone else's client load as well, right? So that's double the amount of nights up. That's a lot of the work. And to reduce burnout, we have to look at really easy, sustainable ways to make it work for everyone, right? Another thing that really sticks out that I want to make clear too is our program. You know, as we grow, we're going to really target looking at um, students that are in apprenticeship situations where it's not working out, okay? And helping, un- helping them. Do you need to get extra births, right? Like, I would love for this residency model to not only run in Alaska, but to do this with areas where maybe if you create a community of residency, you can have six apprentices in one town sharing call
1: mm-hmm. and
0: working for multiple different midwives, gaining multiple different skills, right? And then exactly,
1: for- and I, that helps with I mean, that helps students and midwives this ability to see how different midwives are functioning at births gives you just a more well-rounded view of what birth is and what, you know, what it is to be a midwife and all of the different aspects of care. I think that is fascinating.
0: Well, you know, in the hard part about being a midwife and taking students, right? Some midwives are fantastic and they take it on like their duty and they have student programs, you know, in their practice and ooh, bless those midwives. Thank you, right? A lot of midwives are burnt, They are burnt Mm -hmm. out by students and the big thing there is again these students don't really have much safety net right these students are coming into a lot of these apprenticeships with maybe some background in birth but maybe not in alaska Mm -hmm. i've been able to create a situation where i take the guesswork of how competent the student i'm sending to this midwife right i take the guesswork of their competency off the table before my students Mm -hmm. go on on call they are nrp certified bls certified they have gone through their their four day skills weekend they have taken all of my advanced trainings they are competent birth assistants they just need exposure and experience if a midwife takes on a fresh student it could take a year for a student to get to that point to become sure. actually usable for the midwife to actually be of benefit to the midwife to be a qualified second right mm-hmm. and so um, I'm taking that off midwives plates, which I mean, for me, it would be a relief, right, to not have constant students cycling, right? Oh, they thought they could make it work, but then they're, they're you know, obviously school didn't go back into session, so they can't. And now I'm going to train another one. You're in this constant training game and it just destroys. So this program really is targeted at midwives in that way, too. Our students, or if you, if you want to be a midwifery student, this is a great place to start because you will demonstrate your value to your midwife and make yourself immediately valuable and thus more hireable, not just as an assistant, where you can generate income potentially while being a, as a student, right? But you can land more student placement.
1: I am overwhelmed (laughs) at how, how multifaceted, like how many problems you have just solved (laughs) with this one program, (laughs) like, Mm. holy cow, it's amazing. Like, all right, we're hitting, you know, our maternal mortality rates, we're hitting uh, sustainability. Like this is, this is just so much amazing content. I can't, I'm so excited. Oh, I'm so excited, Caitlin.
0: It is, you know, and it's really, to me, I I want everybody who's listening to this now to understand it um, because it is a very poignant point in 2020 that I think we all need to understand is we are the change we want to see. That's it. We are the agents of the change we want to see. No one is coming to save us. No one is coming to save the dying mothers and birthing people, right? Mm -hmm. No one from the American Medical Association or the obstetric college is going to come and say, actually, maybe we should go back to community-based birth because it might save lives. Mm -hmm. It's not going to come from them. It's going to come from us. And what I really want everyone to get what I want to get across to everyone, too, is how how can I be, what if I don't want to be a birth assistant, but man, I love this. How can I help get community birth more into my community so I can start saving all of these people, right? So I can start giving life back, right? And this is when I say, share your awesome home birth stories. I know that home birth is this beautiful, beautiful rose that's given to you as the most sacred. When it goes beautifully, oh my... It's the most sacred thing that you've ever experienced. And in this world, this world is venomous and it can be mean sometimes. So you tuck that rose in your heart and you only share it. You don't have to share it with anyone else you don't want to, but I am asking you to be brave and scream it from the rooftops when you're ready, that you did it, your body did it, you were supported, you felt safe, right? that you advocate, that when you see like all of the people, if you're from Massachusetts and you're listening, jump on birth choice and start looking at what your birth providers are needing help with. Talk to your legislators, right? Push, push how safe community birth is and how much the birthing population in your community deserves to have competent, licensed providers to attend them in by their own choice and to the provider's comfort anywhere they want, right? So it's talk to your providers. And also this is going to be one of those ones that I'm going to say this to the moms that did have the transports and maybe they didn't go well. If you feel like you need to be, that you need to be heard, that something happened in your transport, in your reception of care, even if you didn't come from a home birth, if you had an issue with a provider where you feel like you were not given informed consent, where you feel like your rights were withheld, file complaints. Mm -hmm. I cannot stress enough that it's up to all of us to be the change that we want, right? And so whether or not you become a birth assistant or maybe write some letters to legislators, it's all for the good of our birthing population because we together alone are going to reduce the cesarean rate, you know, across the nation by not only becoming more, not only By having more trained birth providers everywhere, but by helping change the dialogue in our communities in our state and nationally around the safety for low risk people to birth in the community. And I mean, this will always if I could change one thing honestly right now about this world. It would be to bring birth and death back to the home because the cycle of life when the community participates in and ritualizes the cycle of life. I truly believe not only will it address a ton of health concerns, but it will address internally for us a sense of not feeling constantly traumatized, but feeling um, activated to face challenge and adversity as a community member and help where we can. You know, it's not like it was that long ago that if you were to go into labor, you would have been attended by your best friend, your sister, your sister-in-law, your mother, maybe your grandmother, right? That mm-hmm. everyone in the community would have had some experience in some aspect of a trade that makes them valuable to the community. And what I'm asking for Americans is be that for birth, right? Mm-hmm. Cause man, if nothing else, right, you're going to have some really cool skills because we are all about teaching the actual skills of this is how you're gonna shut down a hemorrhage even if you have to use your fist to do it, right? This is how you're going to help identify trauma, right? And help Mm -hmm. someone find the access to the resources that they need, right? So it's taking ownership and responsibility of our communities so that we can be the change we wanna see, it just all starts with us,
1: right? Okay. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and give a round of applause. (laughs) (laughs) This was amazing. This was so informative and I'm so excited to have. So, so explain this really quickly. You've, you've already got the Pacific birth Institute up and running, but your prerequisite course is what's coming out in November. That's, what's going to be available online to everyone. It
0: will be yes. So we're going to be shooting the rest of our videography next week. So I'm shooting midnet. I'm shooting for release um, to the public by mid November. Um, I'm sure you and I will be in touch about that so we can keep everybody up to date on what that looks like. And I am going to make a shout out because being an agent of change means that you ask for help and you take the opportunities given right to diversify your community. My longer term goal is to get this training in the hands, specifically my first stop is Oakland and the Bay Area. So if you are listening to this and you are in line with a midwifery association, um, in line with any nonprofit that helps to reduce, reduce maternal mortality, that would be interested in us coming to you, not only with this online training, but helping your community figure out a residency in order to activate more women and people of color into their communities, right? I would love to have to help with that, right? This is a plea from me to anyone in Oakland who's listening, anyone in the Bay Area, you have been on my heart Mm -hmm. from the beginning of this project. I can't even tell you why. But you've been on my heart, so I think there's someone out there calling for me too, right? Calling for this, not even me, but I'm picking it up. So I'm just going to put it out to the world through this podcast. You live in the Bay Area, and you want this program, including a residency, to possibly potentially jump up there, and you know a nonprofit who can help with that, or an association, please do contact us through the website, pacificbirthinstitute.com let us know because that's our first national big project we're probably going to start pushing towards.
1: Well, I can't wait to hear when somebody from the Bay Area contacts you because it's going to happen. I feel it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, is a, this is just so incredible. Jessica, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't say it enough for coming on the podcast, for sharing this with all of the listeners. And I am just thrilled to see how this grows over the coming weeks, months, and years. This is is incredible. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you, Caitlin. This was so much fun. And if people have questions, reach out through the website. We're going to be migrating it. It'll change here in the next month or so, but Um, PacificBirthInstitute at gmail.com is also our basic email, so let us know if you have questions. Um, We are, and if you even have content you think should be covered, ideas, things like that, we do want to know it. We keep our education in this program right now specific to birth assistance, but we are going to be growing our entire institute to include a ton more material like your cool material, Caitlin, even, right? So um, please share, let us know what you want to see. Cause really I'm just here for, I'm here for the students, right? Mm -hmm. This is what I can do to help. It helps me sleep better at night, right? Mm -hmm. It helps me feel like I've done anything to help. That's all I'm looking for too, is a little solace and a little bit of reprieve. This world gets crazy, right? So, you know, this is my deep breath of, at least I can go to bed with a smile on my face and say, I tried. You know? I love it. <laughs>
1: I love it. Oh, thank you so much, Jessica. Absolutely. All right, my friends. I hope you are feeling pumped up and ready to go as we enter this week's episode roundup. Jessica brought the info, right? She touched on so many things on the fact that, you know, we have got to bring birth back into the community. We have got to have more midwives. We have got to do something about this horrific maternal mortality rate. And obviously, a lot of that is related to bringing birth back into the community. It's also related to the physician shortage. And on that note, this episode is so timely because it was recorded weeks ago. And yet, as I'm recording this intro and outro, I just recently found out that one of the amazing physicians that we do have, who should be practicing, Dr. Brad Boots-Taylor of episode 84, was released from his position in Atlanta. And I am just so angry and so heartbroken. If you listen to episode 84, then you will understand why. Because this man truly cares for mothers, and he truly cares to bring the power back, to make it an even playing field. We have someone like this, and then what happens? They are released from their position. So once again i feel just even more motivated to get the word out this is so important that these people these you know the the administrators they're not going to save us they're not going to help this we have to be the ones to make the change we have to be the ones to demand it i am worked up (laughs) i am frustrated but i keep thinking about what jessica said this is a grassroots movement so I'm willing to do my part. I hope that you are willing to shout from the mountains. If you have had a beautiful home birth experience, I pray that you will talk about it, that you will tell people about it, about the safety, about the beauty, about the importance of bringing the power back to mothers where it belongs. All right, my friends, I'm going to hop off for now. That's all I've got for you this week. Don't forget to go check out the prerequisite course for birthing assistance at PacificBirthInstitute.com. And I will see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode.